0: good morning. Glad to be here, especially after yesterday morning being in Phoenix, and Jeannie and I missed our flight. And I was starting to think about who I could call that could preach this morning if I didn't make it, but praise the Lord I'm here. <laughs> you know, when big events happen in our world, the media tends to focus on the movers and shakers of our world. Those in positions of power, those in positions of influence, the celebrities of our world, because they're well-known, they seem more important than everybody else. And in comparison to all of them, we often feel left out, unimportant, as if our lives really don't matter. We spend our lives making lunches, going to our jobs, fighting traffic, changing diapers, washing dishes, driving the kids to practice, mowing the lawn, cleaning the house, and then cleaning the house, and then cleaning the house. And we feel like our lives really don't matter a whole lot. Well, today is Mother's Day, as you know. And mothers can especially struggle with this sense of identity, this sense that my life really doesn't matter because it's so repetitious. I don't accomplish much. And our world doesn't seem to value the mundane tasks of motherhood. But folks, God's kingdom is very different than the world. Very different. And I want all of us to be challenged by the word of God this morning. To remember and realize that God's kingdom does not advance in the world's centers of power. Through celebrities. But God's kingdom advances in the hearts of ordinary people. Like you and me as we live out our ordinary lives by faith in Jesus Christ. And as we live those lives of faith, God does amazing things through us. Things we may never see, but life-changing things. Our passage today especially exalts motherhood because it shows us that the simple love of a mother is one of the most powerful forces on earth. So let's look together at Exodus chapter 2. Let me give you the setting first of all to remind you of where we started last week as we began our journey through Exodus with the people of Israel as God forms a nation who can worship him who can follow Him, who have a covenant relationship with Him. Now imagine for a minute, imagine yourself being in a large, powerful country with an immigrant population within it that numbers several million. And they seem to maintain their own culture and their own language. And so... In that nation, you begin to feel suspicious of that people. Begin to fear them. Begin to feel like there's something that needs to be done with them. Can you imagine that? (laughs) Well, that's exactly the way Egypt felt with the nation of Israel within them. They had an immigration problem, (laughs) and they need to deal with it. We saw last week how Pharaoh's plan of dealing with that problem was, first of all, to enslave them, to take away their power, to make them work, and, and to hopefully they would die off in that harsh, horrible labor. But God blessed them, and they continued to grow and expand, and so Pharaoh's second plan is to destroy them completely through genocide, by having the midwives kill the babies as soon as they're born, the, the male babies. But that didn't work either. So finally, at the end of chapter 1, we saw last week that his plan was to have all Egypt involved, as Adrianne just read, in throwing male babies into the Nile River so they would drown and be destroyed, and hopefully through that to destroy forever the nation of Israel, much like Hitler tried to destroy the Jews in World War II. But as we see, God continues to bless the people. He wants them to prosper. He is bigger and more powerful than Pharaoh. He's a powerful, redeeming God, and we see how he cannot be thwarted by the human powers that be. God's plan is always bigger. It's greater. And we look today at God's tools for defeating Pharaoh in this chapter 2 we'll see that they're the simple tools of family, of motherhood, of a nurturing heart of a woman. So in chapter 2, it begins this way. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. Literally, this man of Levi went and took a wife. Now, think for a minute what it was like in those days in Egypt. Think of the risk that this man was taking. He lived in this foreign culture, Egyptian culture. The law said that if a son was born, he was to be killed. There was a 50% chance that any children that came out of this union would be destroyed, would be killed. It was risky to even get married For this man, because of the cost, because of the pain that could ensue from that. It was a great risk to start a family, and yet he took that risk. As I think about our culture today, there is great pressure in our world against family life, isn't there? Great pressure. People are getting married later in life than we used to, people are having fewer kids, people are living together. Instead of getting married, society around us is redefining marriage as no longer between a man and a woman. Many don't want to get married because of the fear of divorce and the terrible pain of divorce that many, many of us in this room have gone through, and it is painful and difficult. It seems to be more and more scary of a world to raise children in. There's terrible financial pressures, video games, TV, all the activities for kids. It can be overwhelming. There are many pressures in our world against family life. Is it even worth the risk? God says yes. God says absolutely it's worth the risk because the family is God's basic unit for passing the kingdom of God from one generation to another. It happens in the church, yes, but the basic unit is the family. God designed the family as the place where truth and love, grace, can be lived out in community every day of our lives as we live together. It's the place, more than any other, where a watching world can see the love of God exemplified is it worth it yes it's worth it so many of the analogies in the scripture that god uses for his love for us are family images family analogies he's a father who loves us he's like a mother who loves us he's a husband who loves his bride the church And over and over again. So, in spite of all the risks, this unnamed Levite, we find out who he is later in the book. But here at this point, he's just an unnamed Levite who took the risk to start a family. So he went and took a wife. In verse 2 again and following, And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. She conceived and bore a son. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. Not a good thing in Egypt of that day. The government said to drown him. That was a command that lay on all the Egyptians and the Israelites. She was to throw him into the Nile. This child was a threat to their family. If she kept him, they would be punished. This baby was a danger to their entire nation of Israel. But I love the way it's put in the original. It says, when she saw, when she looked at him, that he was a fine child, she hid him. There was something about that as she gave birth and she looked at her son and saw. And the word there is she saw that he was good. And in Hebrew, that can have pretty broad meaning Sometimes it's translated beautiful. Sometimes it's translated robust, strong, healthy. You mothers know exactly what it means. Because when you give birth to a child and you look at that child, there's something that happens in a mother's heart. And you know that child is the most beautiful child in the world. And every mother says it. <laughs> because it's true. For you. There's a bonding there of a mother as she looks at her child that is powerful. It's something that God created. It's something that we men really don't understand. She looked at him and saw that he was good. And so she hid him. It awakened her protective, nurturant heart. And though she was commanded to throw him in the Nile, at that point she as a mother knew she had to do something. She had to protect him. So she took him and she hid him. Did she know at this point that this was going to be Moses who was going to be the Redeemer of Israel and she better protect him? No. She was simply a mother who loved her child who said, I've got to protect this child because something's been awakened in my heart. She just loved him with a mother's love. And so she acted. She took a papyrus basket. And in the Hebrew, the word here is ark. It's an ark, a little basket. That Hebrew word occurs 28 times in the Old Testament. 26 times it's used to describe Noah's ark. Twice, both in this passage, it's used to describe Moses' ark, a place of salvation in the midst of dangerous waters. And she takes this basket and she coats it with pitch and tar so it will float. Then she placed the child in it, put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. And the the word for reeds there is the word for the Red Sea, you know, later when they crossed the Red Sea. The name of the sea, Red Sea in Hebrew is the Sea of Reeds. It's the same word here. She placed it in the reeds. Place of danger that becomes the place of salvation. That's the way God works, huh? When there's danger, he uses it to further his kingdom and to do great things. And so she cast him in the Nile, just like Pharaoh said, right? Right? Well, in a sense, she sort of obeyed, didn't she? <laughs> she put him in the Nile all right, but she placed him in reeds where I think she knew the princesses of Egypt bathed. In the reeds where, she, where he wouldn't get swept away by the currents of the Nile, where he'd be held and where the women would hide and bathe in the Nile and where hopefully he would be found. But imagine what that must have been like to give up her own son to protect him at that point as a mother. I think what we see here is the power of a mother's love. I don't know that there's any other human love as powerful as that. I don't think there is. God-given, there's something that happens again when a mother sees her child. There have been so many times when our kids have been through difficult things or been treated unfairly by a coach or a teacher. And I get upset. But I think, you know, this is good for our kids. It builds character. I have to hold Jeannie back. (laughs) I'm not sure there would be any teachers left in the school district. (laughs) There's something powerful about that protective heart. Of a mother. I know of a woman who had six small children, ages two to 11, who got colon cancer, nearly nearly always fatal a few years back. It's a very difficult one. Not a believer, but she cried out to God. She said, God, please let me live. Please let me raise my kids. I do not want to abandon them, Lord. Please let me live. God spared her life. She, just before her die, she died, is her 22nd grandchild, grandchild. It's my mom. God honors that love of a mother. I know another mother who had terminal cancer, who, three small children, who made sure that her husband knew, I want you to remarry after I die because I want my children, to have a mother. And then she passed away. That's the heart of a mother. One of the most powerful forces on earth. That's why there's nothing more shocking to me, and it's got to be more shocking to you mothers. When you hear in the news about a mother who's abandoned her children, or who has drowned them, done harm, horrible things to them, it's, To me, it's a world gone mad when that happens because that is so contrary to how God made a mother. A mother's heart is made to protect, to guard, to be that mother bear who lets nothing come between herself and her children. So this mother, we don't know her name at this point. She's just a mom like you simply acted on behalf of her child. But what happens next? (laughs) He's floating in the river. How will God respond? Verse 5, Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt compassion for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then get this next part. Then his sister, who was watching, asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman, the baby's mother, took the baby and nursed him took the baby, and nursed him. What a great story, huh? She puts the baby in the Nile. She wonders what's going to happen to him. She's afraid for his life, for his safety. And the daughter watches, the big sister watches, and sees the princess come. And you don't really see it in English, but exactly the same words that are used to the mother are used here. Where it says she saw, she looked at him and she felt compassion for him. Was she the mother? No. But was she a woman who was created with the same heart for nurturing and for love and compassion that could be awakened at the sight of this baby? Absolutely. 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 She's got that heart, and then she acted just as the mother did to protect this baby, to make sure he was taken care of. So God uses this power of a mother's love, this power of a nurturing heart of a woman to protect the life of Moses, who is to be the redeemer of the nation of Israel. And I just want you to notice here, you may not be a mother here. Maybe you've never been able to have your own children. Or maybe you're too young to have your own kids. Or maybe you're not married, never been married. I don't know. There's a number of you in those categories here. But if you're a woman, God has given you that nurturing heart that you see in the princess. God has given you that very heart to nurture life, to care, to love. He's given you that nurturing heart to powerfully impact your world for good in ways that men can't. Maybe it's just extending mercy to somebody who's in need. Or maybe it's teaching Sunday school. Or teaching school. Or being a big sister to someone. Or being a foster parent. Or simply living a life wherever you are where you look for opportunities to nurture life around you to encourage life, to bring forth life. That's the unique contribution of a woman to our world that we men cannot duplicate. Never, ever, ever underestimate the power of a feminine, nurturing heart. God uses that here to defeat Pharaoh the most powerful man on earth. <laughs> he not only keeps the redeemer of Israel alive, he uses Pharaoh, God uses Pharaoh's own daughter to do so. Think about the irony of that, folks. Pharaoh says, "Destroy all the sons of the Israelites." God works it out so that Moses is brought right into Pharaoh's own household, is raised and supported by Pharaoh's money and the very one that will oppose him eventually and lead Israel out of the nation, either him or perhaps another pharaoh, his son, is the one that is supported and raised by his own daughter. Isn't God amazing? And what did he use to defeat Satan? I mean, to defeat Pharaoh, who represents Satan here. The power of a mother's love the power of a woman's nurturing heart. That's what God uses to change the world, to keep the kingdom of God expanding. You see, God laughs at the powers of the world and the powers of Satan, and he loves to use what he's planted in the hearts of men and women as we simply live out what he's created us to be as men and women. He uses that to build the kingdom of God. And not only, again, the irony here, not only does she get to nurse her own baby, but she gets paid for it. <laughs> God's amazing, isn't he? And I'm going to raise a question here that many women struggle with. The whole tension between stay-at-home moms and working moms. Well, this mom was both. <laughs> she stayed at home, but she worked and got paid for it, nursing her baby. <laughs> you know, that's the question that whether you work or not as a mom is something you work out with your husband and your situation. Many have no choice but to work, and God honors that, and that's a wonderful place, and it can be a, Wonderful choice what I find it it really doesn't matter whether a woman is working or not. she tends to struggle with her worth. Working women feel, gee, I'm not valuable because I'm not at home with my kids, and homemakers feel i'm not valuable because I'm not out working, having a greater impact in my world and You know, God leads people to make different choices, and they're valid and they're wonderful choices. The real question is, are you getting your worth from the Lord or from your job or your children? God says, get your worth from me, and whatever you do, you will be used by me to impact your world. As you depend on me, God says, your nurturing heart can come forth in wonderful ways. That's the real question. Where is your trust? Where are you depending for your value? And as we see in this situation that was a horrible situation for a mother, we're reminded that as we love our kids and try to make choices to protect them and and all, yet we see here that God is in control, and our job is simply to love them, to be faithful, and entrust their lives to God by faith, not control their lives. Verse 10, when the child grew older, probably the time she weaned him, which was Every scholar I read about this, they estimate, was about three years old. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. Pharaoh's daughter adopted him. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. She protected him. She was able to nurse him for three years, but then she had to let him go. Isn't that the task of motherhood, (laughs) the battle of motherhood? That we protect and love and nurture our children, but then we have to let them go. And if we don't begin letting them go very early in life, then we end up in a place like the mother that Adrienne described earlier where we have no life left and we've overprotected them and it hasn't been healthy for them or for us. And this mother had to give up her son at age three. How hard that must have been. But get this. As Moses is raised by Pharaoh for 40, the next 37 years till he's age 40, he never forgot his identity as a Hebrew. He never forgot who he was. Those three years, that mother instilled in him a deep sense of his identity that he never let go of. You don't know how huge an impact you're having on those children, even up to age three. He never lost that. And let me say one other thing. At this point, he is given up for adoption. Why did she do that? In a sense, she had to. But I think one of the greatest expressions of that nurturant, loving heart that God has given mothers is when a young mother gives up her baby for adoption for for that baby's sake, knowing, knowing that it will be best for that baby. That sacrifice, again, is one of the greatest expressions of this powerful force called a mother's heart. One of the greatest expressions in our world for the sake of that baby to give them up. So moms, we need to give up our babies at some point. I'll tell you, some of the worst and most difficult marriage counseling I have ever done is when they come in and you realize the husband is still a mama's boy. They've never broken those ties. And the wife is going, I don't know who I'm following here. I I don't want to be tied to my mother in law, (laughs) I want to follow my husband's lead. You see, there has to be this breaking of those ties and it begins when the child is young and you begin to spread the walls and begin to let their wings flap more and more and it's got to begin early so that they can be all that God created them to be as your son. Pharaoh's daughter named him Moses. Now, in Egyptian, that means son. But it sounds like the Hebrew word for draw out. And again, this is very a wonderful picture for us. As God used the daughter of Pharaoh to draw Moses out of the water to protect him, so Moses will be used by God to draw the nation of Israel out of slavery and redeem them and set them free. So even his name is a reminder to us that God's in control, folks. And as we parent our kids, let's remember that God is in control. We can trust Him with our lives, with our homes, with our children. He's a great and powerful God. So don't be fooled by the world. (laughs) There's no greater power on earth than love. And the greatest human expression of that is the love of a mother. There's nothing more fierce, nothing more relentless, nothing more powerful. And whether you're a mother or not, God can use your nurturing heart to impact the world for generations to come. What an amazing God we serve. So let's live out what He made us to be. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for how you made mothers. Thank you for their fierce and powerful love. May they be honored today and may may they have a deep sense of how much you value them, how you made them as they are, and you gave them the children you wanted them to have so they could be loved in the way that these mothers are capable of. So do... Do a mighty work today encouraging mothers whom you created for good. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.